live on the radio, and it was just like, drop the first track. <laughs> and like, you roll you gotta, with it. Just go with it. Yeah. You and, roll but it was. It. I felt so terrible for him because like I looked at his face and like I could see like in his, like as it was coming out, you could just tell like his stomach was just like no. I can't like, believe. And like you could tell he wanted to like correct himself, but that but by that point he was like just let it go. And then like at the first you know break or whatever, Manny got on the mic and you know said. We're Bond Street District, but yeah, it's funny that that happens quite often. But you know, I don't know. I, there's uh, a part of me that that wonders like how to, to shorten the name sometime and just be like, just call it Bond Street or you know whatever, because people tend to to lose it. They're like, it's Bond Bond Street. <laughs> yeah, I think it's dope. Thank I think you. it's super dope. Plus, you get to like go BSD. Like you, you can. Yeah. With those, like, you know, you, then you get to go into monogram territory, right? Like, when you make your the the official cardigan, yeah, you'll exactly. know what to put on the lapel yep. underneath the crocodile. Um, all right, so pre-roll's going, but let's just redo this, like, how we normally do it. Mm-hmm. Good evening, Baltimore. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Startup Soiree podcast. This is your host, Patrick Reif, bringing it to you. Um, from a rooftop in Midtown here in Baltimore on a super incredible, cool, crisp September evening. Um, I know we've been away for a while. They've been kind of hit or miss, but um, I'm happy that we're back swinging hard in the mid-90s as far as our episode count has has begun. Um, I'm hoping to see all of you on Tuesday night for TT the Artist at Startup Soiree, taking place at Pixelated, a throwback event. Should be an incredible one. Um, So whatever, I'm not going to beat around the bush. We've been talking a lot about me revisiting and really wanting to talk to people that are making music and making careers in music in Baltimore um, because it's a big part of my life and I'm very interested in the fundamentals and how people are approaching it because I think the more conscious we are of... uh, business acumen helping further music and art and creative uh, you know passions is the more likely we are to be able to continue doing them and really push the boundaries and I think that that's something that Baltimore has a lot of potential to do so without any more running off at the mouth today we have uh, Paul from Bond Street District um, who has invited me kindly over to his home and then up onto the roof of his building which has the most epic view of Baltimore I have seen in a long time <laughs> to uh, to talk a little bit. So, yeah. Paul, welcome Thank to you. the podcast. I'm excited to, to be a part of it. This is awesome. I've, uh, I've only done a couple of these before, so you have to forgive me. I'm still feeling out the, the radio show podcast kind of thing. <laughs> so the good news is we don't add like zero post-editing. There's no questions that I have pre-written, and um, it's really about kind of the natural flow of, of conversation. So cool. I think you're going to knock it out of the park. Um, so to get started, the way we usually kind of kick it off is giving you the space to kind of give us your you know two-minute kind of intro about who you are and maybe what BSD is. Cool. Um, yeah, so uh, Paul Hudson, I, uh, the producer for Bond Street District, one half of Bond Street District. Um, been producing for this group, or we've been together for I guess the past two years now. Coming up, this is actually right now is about the two-year anniversary of us making our first album uh, or EP, "Everybody So Sleepy." Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. We uh, we met each other. Um, I guess a little history of the group. 
uh, we met each other at the Crown, actually, which is funny. We're now living within, you know, a couple blocks from the Crown. Um, we met one night. I was there actually taking photos, so that's kind of what I do, um, or what I did before Bond Street, and what I do for money now is film and photography. So I had a friend who was shooting uh, a concert there. It was like the Shade Party or something like that with... Rar Kelly and TT was there and like everybody and it was before I really knew any of those people so I, I went with him to, to shoot the event and ended up meeting Manny um, DDM and uh, we just kind of like hit it off we, we ended up talking about music it took a while before I even told him that I, I had you know produced before and honestly before we had met anything that I had made was just to myself in my room like I got Ableton from a friend I was working at a bar and this kid was like way into EDM and stuff like that and he was like, oh, like, you should, you know, try to make beats or whatever, like, if you got this, like, music background and stuff, and so I, uh, I took his, like, sampler that he had, or launch pad, and, you know, worked with that for a while, but never really, like, played out, never produced for anybody else, like, you know, friends of mine kept telling me to, to put it out, actually, uh, Jarrell Sankey was one of the people that really pushed me early on to, to do it, who, uh, makes the Creative King hats and everything, one of my best friends in the world him and I he's an alumni a podcast alumni we will make sure that we link up in this episode back to Jarrell's episode so we can listen to it for context yeah. I bet he's going to come up more than once no absolutely he's <laughs> definitely going to come up more than once um, but yeah I, uh, I I met DDM at the Crown and uh, we hit it off and we uh, we got together a couple weeks later we were supposed to get together right away and my grandmother actually passed away and I thought that, like, at that time, because he had a reputation before we had met, I was nobody. So I thought, like, ah, oh, man, like, I missed my shot. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to, you know, catch up to him again. He's probably busy, you know. And he was really cool. He ended up, like, texting me, like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I know you don't really know me like that, but, like, if you need to talk to somebody, like, I know, you know, I don't know how close you were to her. And um, so he's, like, really cool about it. And he's like, take your time. Like, whenever you get back, we can get together. And so when I got back in town, we met up and – Showed him some of the records that I made, and within a couple hours, we were like, all right, maybe we'll make, like, a song or something like that. Go to drive him home, and he gets on this topic of, like, just the state of the world at the time and how everybody was so sleepy. Like, everybody was so kind of, it was just like, nobody was tapped into anything. It was just kind of this blah attitude everywhere. And uh, we kind of, like, fixated on that in the car, and the very next morning, he texted me. He's like, how would you feel about putting an album out or putting an EP out together on November 3rd? Mind you, this was like, I don't know, mid-August, something like that. So it's random date, you know. It wasn't like, it was. I think it was a Monday, actually. So it was like a totally random time to, to put an album out. But little did he know, that was the three-year anniversary of my dad passing away. So it was kind of like a lot of like weird things happening all at once. Like... Um, so I wanted to work with him regardless, but I think that added to like the intrigue of the whole situation. Um, so we got together pretty much every single night from like that point until November third. Like he was basically living with me, at, you know, at one point where it was just like he would come over right after work. We would work on records in my bedroom um, down in Fells Point, and we would work until two three o'clock in the morning and then like he would pass out on the couch and then next morning I'd wake up early and work on some shit he would go to work and then same thing like every single day and between mid late August to the beginning of November we put out the five song EP and the music video um, 
and it was it was a lot it was a lot to to put together especially having never done that before never having really produced a record never working with anybody else before and then let alone working with somebody who was you know a veteran at the time at least of the Baltimore scene and everything I mean he had been you know emceeing and all that for probably a good eight nine years prior to us meeting so to come in with somebody who had such a clear vision of what he wanted and me kind of like just trying to figure out how to like work the program it was uh it was intense to say the least but I think we realized we worked really well together because the more intense it got the better it got and the closer to the deadline it got I mean we were like rewriting and rehashing things up until the last minute um we actually it was a five song EP when it came out but I think we actually wrote and recorded in full like seven songs maybe eight like uh seven and a half songs something like that and just threw two of them out because we were like it's not good enough or it was you know something one of them we made like really early on it was like it just doesn't fit with what we ended up right with and I think that constant like pushing for perfection has made us kind of so good so fast in a way you know it's really forced us to to be a constant pressure cooker every time that you know we work together it's we're really like intense with each other and really hard on each other with what we do um and after we put the album out it was only about a month and a half before he actually ended up moving in with me because uh, my roommate at the time uh had moved out and so I, I told him i was like dude you're basically staying here every single night as it is do you want to just like the rent's pretty cheap it'll make it easier we'll be here all the time so we can work on stuff whenever we want to and it's not as much of a chore to have to like get together after work and everything um and we've been actually living together ever since um which is i think also added to a lot of what we've been able to do because we have that luxury of just in the moment like like, hey i have this idea like what do you think about this and like instantly get feedback and it's not like this process of like oh like i'll email you the track oh did you listen to it yet oh what'd you think oh i'm writing to it and then, you know it's it's not disjointed it's just like as it comes out it's just constantly going um which is awesome but also <laughs> really difficult sometimes like you know it's it's almost like you know meeting you know a uh, a uh, girlfriend or something like that you know meeting a girl and and moving in together you know immediately and having that kind of relationship because you're sharing something that's so special to the both of you and something that you care about a lot but trying to make that grow was something that uh took a lot of I think patience on both of our parts because it wasn't easy to to learn how each other worked because he was coming from being a solo artist I like I said came from not working with anybody so in a way being a solo artist as well um but definitely trying to get ahead of the learning curve with him and try to catch catch up to what he was capable of you know um and I still feel like I'm catching up in a way to be perfectly honest but um I don't know it's uh it's been the most interesting I guess you know I don't know what to call it group partnership whatever you want to call it that I've ever been in um just because we both are so much of the same mindset we both want it to be as perfect as possible and if it's not it like really irks us <laughs> a lot um i just realized you told me to give you like a two minute thing and i'm like 15 minutes into like no, 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 everything no, about myself no, I've, been, I've, I've been prodding you i've been prodding you um but i can harness it for sure yeah sure so 
there's literally a million directions I want to go in right now, yeah. but I know I'll remember the other ones, and I'm worried that I won't remember this one. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, mid-August, do you want to make a record, and we got to put it out on this date, which is totally arbitrary, except it's not arbitrary to you yeah. whatsoever, because yeah. it's actually, like, being, like, handed down from time, <laughs> yeah. and, like, shaking you in your boots. Yeah. Like, totally. Um, and you guys bust your ass to, to create the record, and you create a video. Yep. And then you get to that point where you release it. Yeah. Right? So now you have a, an entirely different set of skills that you don't have that you have to now start to employ, which is to get this to get this record out there, right? Yeah. To, like, do something with... So what did you guys do? What was the first... I mean, did, was the was the live show being brought along simultaneously as you were trying to write the record? Or was it just, like, all hands on the record and now, like, we got to figure out how to play this shit live. We got to figure out how to sell it. We got to figure out who gives a fuck. Like, yeah, it was, it was literally fly by the seat of our pants the whole time, especially for me because, you know, not having done it before, I had never DJed before. I had never done live production before. I played in bands before, played drums and, like, keys and stuff for, for different groups. So... That element was fine, but the electronic element, I think at the time I didn't even have like a really good laptop. Like I had to buy a laptop right before we uh, we played our first show ever just because, oh, actually no, to be perfectly honest with you, I think the very first show we played, like the night of the release, I used my giant desktop computer because I didn't <laughs> I didn't have a laptop, so I had to cart over my like iMac. Luckily, it's like all in one with the screen and stuff. But like, you know, you see, it's so common these days to see DJs and producers, you know, produce live with a MacBook Pro or like right. a small little tablet or whatever. Yeah. See this kid with this giant monitor yeah. on stage. Maybe that should be your thing. I know. I actually thought about it. There's so at one point I had this idea. I probably shouldn't say this in public so somebody can steal it, but whatever. I had this idea to take that monitor and build a table around it and lay it flat so that the monitor was like a tabletop of sorts or whatever and then just like mix straight on that because then it'll be because it's a bright led you know so it kind of illuminate me as well and like remember those the 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 video games that were like air hockey but they were like (laughs) embedded flat screens exactly we got to find like you get a scour like second chance in the loading dock for one of those that's busted that you can just rip the guts out and bolt a iMac in that's such a good idea no it's exactly what I need too. just like the plexiglass top so it's like you know pretty protected or whatever yeah so you dome it so people can't see but it's gonna be glowing at you and then (laughs) literally if you make great music people will be like he's got some proprietary (laughs) like software that they developed in Baltimore and we don't know what's glowing under that hood but it's like no one else has it but Paul it's like his thing (laughs) <laughs> that's my that's my goal. I'm actually in the in the works right now with a, a good friend of mine, Johnny Thorne, who is uh, working on a, a table for me. Kind of like a I don't know how to describe it. It's gonna look like a spaceship or something. It's gonna be crazy. Your this thing's gonna be uh, cool. Your Mike Mike Patton esque pulpit. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever it seen that guy perform? Yeah, it's literally like this massive like horseshoe. Yep. Digital. No, it's very similar. It's actually gonna gonna be kind of it is kind of pulpit themed in a way, but I'm excited to finally get some more visual elements into the into the show. But back to the the yeah. first show. Um, yeah, no, it was it was crazy. The whole thing, like I said, was very fly by the seat of our pants. Very like catch it as we got it, and um, 
so we we made the record as fast as we could which was right up until the last minute i mean we sent it off for mastering we're like we need this back in like two days is that cool (laughs) so like you know we got everything done on a tight tight uh timetable and so i only had about i don't know maybe three days two days before like the release party to actually figure out how to perform the stuff live and I didn't want to, I mean, my, my whole goal, like when we had talked about it through the process, cause we were trying to figure out like, all right, do we need to get turntables? Do we need to get some sort of like MIDI controller? Like how, how are you going to do this? And we had a conversation where we sat down and DDM was like, you know, do you want to DJ this stuff or do you want to somehow play this live? And coming from playing in bands and stuff like that, I was like, I don't, I would be super uncomfortable on stage, like basically just playing the track and then trying to like pretend to be this hype man or whatever like jump around stage with you like it's just not who I am like I, I can just already tell you matched up with who you are as a performer it's it's gonna be bad yeah, yeah. exactly and, and people are gonna see straight through that so I was like I would rather be the like nerd in the background like sitting there twisting knobs and you know doing all kinds of stuff making it live so that was the biggest challenge at first was trying to figure out that so kind of to also tie it into what you were asking about like how do we get everything going as far as almost the business side of it and selling records we really weren't concerned with selling records at first like hold but, up don't go there yet ah tell me about how you did how you decided to like how did you decide to perform it like how did you break it down and be running shit from ableton and like using samples mm-hmm. but get but imbuing it with the you know the 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 technical maintaining of like actually playing it so where where did you like where did you draw the line and and which places did you choose did you end up with turntables did you just use midi keyboards where you trigger you know like yeah no so i uh i ended up with the pretty much the setup that i have right now which is a machine studio which is what i used to produce on and apc 40 mark ii what's machine studio mash Mash Sheen, yeah, yeah it's that, MA, that app. Yeah, I've yeah, used it. it's, yeah, the it's, app's great too. So, but so, the, but there's a real. So yeah, uh, in my apartment, actually, um, like my studio setup, it's the centerpiece of what I use really. So basically, what the machine is, excuse me, it's a Native Instruments um, uh, piece of hardware that's essentially a digital MPC. So MPCs are what like you know producers use forever in hip hop and everything, um, samplers and basically when i was going to buy that it was a distinction between do i want to match this up with vsts and digital sounds and stuff from native instruments and other companies or do i i want to have an mpc which i would have to have a lot of the hardware if you want a synth sound you have to have that synth if you want a keyboard sound you have to have that keyboard right or you're taking from vinyl or whatever um and at the time i already had a whole bunch of native instrument stuff so i went with that so I essentially took what my studio production setup was on the road, minus like a keyboard and a microphone and stuff like that. But um, it's like, you know, I used the same interface that I used, the machine, the APC and a laptop. And later on down the road, I ended up uh, adding on an Octopad, which is basically like, it's like a little drum pad that you can actually hit with like drumsticks and it's pressure sensitive. So you can actually make it sound like real drums. They're really, really nice. Um, but a lot of drummers use them, you know, for like little extra sounds or to cue clips and stuff. Um, so the way I broke it out in Ableton, I essentially went back and got the mixed stems. And when I made this stuff, I mean, I probably had like on some of the songs, you know, 
20, 30 tracks, if not more, um, which isn't even that much to some people. Um, but I basically had to take that and then consolidate that down in different groups. So kind of like bring all my, like sum all my drums and bring like some of the melodies and like bass lines and break it into, you know, bigger chunks and then spread that across uh, the clip launcher in Ableton and was able to queue up songs that way and then have individual samples for different parts. So it started off as me basically having main parts of the song, like main pillars, if you will, of the song running top to bottom while I got to improv on kind of mm -hmm. like the guts of it. Yep. Um, which gives it a little bit of a live, you know, feel because it's it can change and it's not totally like you know a, a DJ remixing something live. Were you using a foot controller to 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 move move through different sections, or were you still just triggering that with your hands? All all of my hands. Yeah. Yeah. So I the APC uh, has a nice uh, the APC is basically just like the physical readout of what Ableton is. So everything that you wish you could like touch in Ableton, that's essentially what the APC is giving you is that tactile like interaction with it cool um and i think the push probably now is better I, i've used it once or twice but never like in an actual show um but the apc is like a really great way to to interact with with ableton for me at least because it gives me the freedom of separating the effects that are running through machine and the effects that are running through ableton so there are like certain things like there's certain machine uh effects that will like chop up beats but we'll do completely random crazy things to them based off of the midi data not the audio so you get these like really insane sounds out of it right that you can't really get through ableton or anything else it needs to be that proprietary thing so i can do stuff with that and then double down on that and then run that affected signal through an affected ableton track you know and, and the right. possibilities are really endless which are it's a blessing and a curse because you'll drive yourself crazy sure. just sitting there trying to figure stuff out um, but yeah, so that's kind of where I landed on it. I mean, it was a lot more simplified at first. It was a lot more running tracks for the first like two or three shows. But even after that, or even during those shows, I I still wanted to do something truly live. So I think in our like our release at the Crown, we did like an improvised set where I had some stuff that I kind of you know had worked on, but never really fleshed out into a full song, and like sat there and actually live drum out some stuff and. Um, a lot of what I do is I'll break a, certain samples across the pads so that I can play melody lines while I'm playing drum lines. So I'll have it all broken across the same thing so I don't have to run as many like looping tracks and stuff like that. Um, so I did a couple things like that so it, it still kept a fairly live feel. Oh, so here's going to be the only thing about being on this rooftop is... Foxtrot. Yeah, we will have Foxtrot coming over us and potentially lighting us up. That'd be great. Yeah, it's happened more more times than I care to say. Between living here and living down at Fells Point, which you wouldn't think there would be a lot of, but... Foxtrotting. Yeah. A lot of Foxtrotting in Fells. All over the place. <laughs> so, awesome. Ex exceptional answer. <laughs> exceptional answer. I used to use one of the... Um, Damn, is it the Roland foot controller? Mm. I don't know. And I always just found it um, super fucking frustrating. Yeah. Um, just because MIDI um, in general. <laughs> just because of MIDI yeah. uh, mapping. But also because it has this, there's this very, it was more about being able to 
think the height of me using Ableton, I was doing a lot of like guitar and vocal looping and then kind of like improvising and doing a lot of like really the only controls that I was allowing myself was putting the, you know, like on the looper, how you can uh, speed up and slow down the speed of the loop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then also how you can like chop it half time infinitely and then you can end up turning it into this like you know you can quickly half cut your way to like this super redundant kind of finesse like rhythms where shit gets really weird so I was like doing a lot of that I was doing like that so it was like sampling my own voice sampling guitar playing and like turning it into like real like cosmic web kind of shit and then triggering lots of like playing thematic samples like I built some I'd done this project where I sampled about 9,000 records at random um, like just two second random snippets from it so using those so like these like weird pop like tons of shit that you know but like kind of like weird hunks of it not ideal hunks of it whales like whales (laughs) that kind of stuff like weird so um, which one should I ask about next so you said that you've got like a previous history playing music before yeah. I'm guessing some kind of pull back for a minute. Yeah. And then you ended up kind of where you are now. So what is your what's your what's your background? So I've Are you from Baltimore? Are you a Marylander? Yeah, I'm I'm actually from Gaithersburg, Maryland okay. originally. So about an hour out. Um went to school just outside of DC. Um and went to Towson and ended up uh, as a music major there. So I music's always been like a really big part of my life. Like from the time I was really young, like my grandma got me this like play, I can't remember what it was, but one of these like fake little plastic drums or whatever when I was a, a kid. And I remember always playing on that as like a toddler and then getting real drumsticks and actually playing with real drumsticks on it. And I think when I was like five or six, my parents bought me a real snare drum and I, uh, <laughs> how I actually started playing drums, we had one of those, um, you know those like personal trampolines, like little exercise trampolines, the small ones? So yeah. we had one of those in the basement, you know, this like unfinished, like grungy basement. And, uh, well, it wasn't grungy, I'm sorry, mom. Um, but <laughs> this uh, unfinished basement, I would take this little trampoline and lean it up against the wall and put the snare drum next to it, and I would hit the middle of the trampoline to make a bass drum sound uh-huh. and I would hit the springs as like a crash cymbal yeah. and I'd hit the rim of it as like a ride uh-huh. slash like close hi-hat and I would sit there forever and I just like kept playing as a little bucket drummer in the basement basically with a trampoline and a snare drum and I think that's what made my parents like alright this kid like obviously wants to play something so the next year they bought me the drum set that I still have today actually um and so I started off just playing in the basement constantly, like, all the time. Like, they couldn't get me to stop just playing old, like, Blink-182 records and, like, you know, ska, you know, records and stuff like that. And um, when I got into high school, my parents, like, literally dragged me into the high school kicking and screaming, being like, you're going to play in the band. And I was like, I don't, like, I don't want to play in the band. I don't want to learn how to read music. Like, I don't really care about any of that. Like, it's, I don't need that. Like, I like playing drums. I'm good at, you know, at the level I'm at. And they really pushed me to do it, and it ended up being the best thing ever because I ended up exploring all different types of music that I never would have gotten interested in yeah. if it wasn't for that. And different sounds and different, you know, um, 
even percussive instruments that I would have never thought to incorporate and stuff. Um, And when I was in high school, probably when I was like, I don't know, even before high school, about eighth grade, like my my brother uh, played guitar, my sister played piano, and you know, both of them just played for fun. Um, My brother played in a couple like local bands when he was younger or whatever. Um, But from watching them at an early age, I would always want to play whatever they were playing. So when my brother put the guitar down, I tried to like pick it up and play whatever he played. My sister played piano, same thing. So when I was probably like getting into high school, you know, middle school, high school, I got a cracked version of um, acid music for my brother and just sat there. And I remember at first just like I would take like the pre-recorded loops that they had or like the drum sound. Do you remember the triplet that moon it, moon Dude, it's like thirds or whatever. Like, yeah, I remember I, I used that sample. I used the fuck out of that right? sample. Dude, if I, I guarantee <laughs> you. save it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, I guarantee you if today I got my hands on that thing and went through the library, I could probably like tell you every single like loop that they had in there because I just obsessed over it. And that's what really started off because I would go and take different like guitar parts that didn't match up with certain drum parts and try to make them work together and then like I got to a point where I got bored with that and was like well I really like the kick drums on this I really like the snares on this so then I started like just taking the kicks from that and just the snares from that and without even realizing it at the time like it wasn't until I was working with Bond Street that I thought back to that and was like yeah like I was kind of like producing stuff then I didn't even think of it that way it was just it was almost like a video game to me yeah um and then started incorporating live instruments and recording stuff like using the really shitty little uh computer microphone and stuff I used to go and take the computer mic and wrap it in a blanket because I thought that that would somehow like muffle or like help the sound of like a full drum set in a tiny room or something Um, like that man I did I, I did like in my in that period <laughs> like that that hunk of my life when i was being just like incredibly cre- like incredibly creative to try and like challenge stuff and i remember like taking having a 12 string guitar that had like a bunch of busted strings on it but they're still hanging on it <laughs> and like running a mic into an amp and then leaning the guitar against the amp but then miking the whole of the guitar <laughs> you know what i mean and like creating these like like but then pushing it so it was like as soon as you put sound into it, it would almost like act as like, what are those things called? There's like a specific plugin that emulates it, just the, like the ring modulators. Oh that like, yeah, yeah, You can yeah, like yeah. tweak them to the right thing, where if you give them like the tiniest bit of input, you can make them stay like generative. For yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like I think the best time that you can be in like the more stuff you get i think the worse off you are like the more comfortable you get totally and like input like like real real like creative genius and real improvisation doesn't happen from an endless amount of opportunities Mm. like innovation happens when you have a like two or three things and you have to figure out how to make those work together we yeah. have like a set parameter totally right because otherwise you're like oh boy do i want some of this or do i want some of that and yeah. all of a sudden you're like you know picking different types of cake to put on your plate instead of being like i just want to eat something yeah exactly no it's totally true i mean like you know i liken it to uh to like painting and stuff like that you know if you only have you know three primary colors there's people who can make amazing things with that but the second that you have this entire like palette of you know 
different things you get caught up in the materials and what you could potentially make with all these things rather than like what you can make with what you have or like what how to make your idea come out with you know within those constraints like you said yeah absolutely it's uh it's actually funny so during that period of time uh i had written a couple things that like i still think are all right i mean i, I don't know that i'd put them out but um fast forward to the making of everybody so sleepy we figured out the track listing and everything and we got to the end and the only thing that we were missing was like a solid like ender like we had a good ending song but like the end of the song wasn't satisfying enough it just kind of like trailed off and we're like we can't end the album with it just kind of like fading out into darkness you know not for an ep um so at that point like I said, I really hadn't been doing it for very long, and I had exhausted all of my resources. Like, I had tapped every single song, every single loop, every single, like, everything that I ever thought of showing DDM, and we still didn't have anything. And on my, like, iTunes, I found this old loop that I made when I was, like, 13. And I was like, oh, man, there's this thing. Uh, no, never mind, never mind. He's like, what? What is it? And I was like, no, man, like, honestly, like, we can't use this. And he was like, shut up. What is it? I was like, dude, I made this when I was, like, 12, 13 years old. Like, the audio quality is going to be terrible. And he was like, just play the song. And I started playing it. And, like, I swear to God, I don't think I've ever gotten closer to being smacked by him in ever. He was like, what is wrong with you? This is perfect. Like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. Like, yeah, we need to go and do, like, a couple little things to it. But honestly, like, we can drop this on the end, and it's the perfect closer to it. And it's actually what the closer of Matinee is. Um, so the end of the video when it's like rising up into the sky and all that, that kind of like trippy, you know, yeah. uh, drum and bass sort of sounding section. I made that when I was 13 years old. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and it was off of all those old chops and stuff. So it's uh, it just goes to show, you, you know, nothing's nothing's garbage unless you uh, are willing to give up on it. That's awesome. What a cool story. So how, how the fuck how did so let's leave high school now? Yeah. So uh I actually ended up getting a scholarship to Towson for percussion performance, uh, and so went there. I wanted to score movies, actually. That's like, and it's still to this day is something I really want to do is, is score a movie. What kind of movies? Who I makes don't know. you? Who makes you? Made you want to score movies? You know what? It's funny. So like, it's it's kind of a cheesy answer, but John Williams is amazing. Mm-hmm. Although it's funny, my band directors in high school absolutely hated him because I guess apparently he kind John, of borrows from John, John Williams. Is, Star Wars, right? John Williams is John Williams. Think of any epic yeah. that you know of. He did Star Wars. He did I mean, Harry I listen Potter, to it with my did... kids like literally every morning. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like I'm not joking you. I've never listened to it like this. Like I know the nuances of John Williams music very well now. Yeah, um, right. Because I didn't listen to it before, but like you get a two and a four year old playing some Star Wars music, they're gonna ask to hear it again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, the guy's catalog is like crazy the stuff that he's done he did indiana jones i think he did close encounters of the you know whatever he did so many uh movies but i don't know i honestly what my fascination with it was partly because i was so into music and also i kind of want to do foley work which is basically you know when you shoot a movie all of the sounds that you hear within the movie are all pretty much made post you know crunching carrots yeah exactly you know people walking in the woods footsteps doors closing all that stuff and it's basically usually like two or three people in a room in this like little studio watching the stuff just like standing in a gravel pit like you know making sounds and that to me was like that's so cool like i'm sure to some people it's like that's so boring but 
I thought that was the coolest thing, so I wanted to do that, but also wanted to make music for it. So when I was at school, decided to be a film minor and a music major, and realized about halfway through that the track that I was on was really to become like a music teacher or like it was I really didn't have like a solid path in music and the way that I was going about it wasn't really going to put me in a position to do what I wanted to do um so I ended up flip-flopping and becoming a film major and that's what it didn't take me away from music because I was still involved I still played in bands and everything but my focus as far as making money and stuff was like all right I can make music videos and be like the visual eye on stuff like that because I already have like the connection with music and everything and then maybe like parlay that into like producing actual records for people and stuff like that so it was always in the back of my head that I wanted to come back to music and make music kind of what my full-time career is and I'm still kind of there after graduating from college I uh I was freelancing film for a while and the band that I was in broke up and you know everybody kind of went their separate ways and while I was in that like freelance slash like working in a bar period was when I started getting interested in Ableton and stuff and really what were you playing in a band here in Baltimore yeah I was playing in a, a band in high school um, called the three tree experience which I'm sorry I'm sorry guys it was I never liked the name but um, we uh, it was kind of like the roots in a way. We had a guy who was an MC, and then we all played like live R and B, hip hop type stuff. Um, I played drums for them, so that was a lot of fun. But after going through playing with a bunch of different bands and dealing with like different schedules, different points of view on like how to take the you know the direction of the group and even songwriting and stuff like that, I kind of wanted to figure out how to do all that myself. And the initial goal was really to write the songs and write the different parts to a certain degree and then go find musicians that I wanted to work with and be like hey I don't really play guitar but yeah. like listen to this like part that I wrote you get what I'm saying right do your thing with it. It, right? yeah and and so that was kind of the goal and without a reputation and not really knowing who to work with I just was doing it to myself until you know or just making it for nobody but myself until I met Manny and uh once we got together, that's when I started taking it a lot more seriously and started really trying to refine my craft. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? 27. 27. Uh, so how long did you, like, how long did you chill out, like, post-band but pre-Manny? Not very long. Like, honestly, I've never, I've never really taken, like, a, a solid, like, break from music where it's been I just haven't been making music at all you know there's always been some time but I would say as far as performing goes let's see it would have been about a good like three years or so yeah about three years I had uh I had like filled in for some other bands like here and there and played a couple gigs with people as like a drummer just you know day playing stuff like that but um other than that it was just kind of me producing in my room and figuring out kind of what style I wanted to go for and I think that's one of the biggest gifts that I've given myself is never having put the pressure on myself to like be a certain thing like I've never I find that when I write stuff I don't sit down and like have an idea I'm like oh I'm gonna make this record yeah totally you know I don't even play me I won't play instruments anymore because mm. I got to this place where I was like I'm not like I don't I'll play drums mm -hmm. and I play music because I want my and there are guitars everywhere <laughs> pianos everywhere and there are instruments every I mean there's a drum set in the attic there's ample <laughs> there's massive amplifiers like 
we set up shit and run it, and yeah. it's more about like making sure that they understand because I want them to feel super comfortable. I mean, like I set up like feedback loops, and they're, yeah, they're yeah. down in the basement with like microphones going through like delay pedals, just like yelling <laughs> and just like loving it. You know what I mean? Like that like thing where you're like yelling and it's doing it, and it's also repicking it up, and they're yeah. like, "What is going on?" <laughs> and then like the little brother is like chanting at the like incredible but I don't um, I don't approach music like that like mm. I'm not I don't like sit around and play guitar yeah and anymore like I did there was a point in my life where I like you would see me playing guitar but for me like if I'm gonna pick up an instrument it's because I'm planning to write something with it yeah you know what I mean and like that's why I'm there like messing with it uh, it's interesting to hear to hear that I read it uh, interview with Johnny Greenwood once and he was like it was probably it was probably talking about that I'm gonna fuck I'm gonna mispronounce it music nerds out there <laughs> that Aston Martinet or whatever that like crazy theremin the yeah. you know where you put like the thimble on your finger yeah, and it's I like talking about. I'm, I'm screwing the name of it up but it's I think it's Martinet something like that at any rate they were like it was all about that. And it's like, you know, like Johnny Greenwood is the most like incredible guitar, electric guitar player, like that we've had mm. in however long he like won't play the guitar anymore. Like he's got this like new electronic theremin that huh. he found in a shop, blah, blah, blah. And they're like kind of peppering him about it. Like everybody wants to know when you're going to play guitar again. And he's like, you know, I just don't think about, like, I don't think about instruments like that. Like I, am I'm not denominational to instrument to yeah. like the guitar anymore. I don't necessarily feel like, oh, it's the guitar. Like I gotta go like 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 spend my time with the guitar. Yeah. Cause for me it's like I think of myself more as like a composer or a writer and it's about like what feels relevant at the moment. It's the same thing that allows me um, you know, the same reason I make visual art. Yeah. And when I do that, like sometimes it's plaster casts of like record columns that were stacked up and like sometimes it's a bunch of paintings that have like a theme and really it's about like the 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 tonality of whatever the medium is mm-hmm. right whether it's music and the tone this tonal spectrum of the type of music that you could be feeling right mm-hmm. like where you are where your head is or you know represented in film or represented in poetry you know like writing a, a writing a short story versus writing a novel versus writing like prose or poetry or something yeah. like that like all of those things are these different you know representations of it and I have never like I've never felt responsible to be part of one of those things you know like I've always been more embracing of like I don't know the tide's always gonna move yeah. and for me I feel like I'm just I'm chasing like I'm chasing my muse and being attracted to creating and being you know being someone that that has that opportunity like yeah. in their life to find creating stuff to be kind of easy and wanting that to be its own I think sorry. no no philosophy's I, getting deep no no I think <laughs> I think honestly I think artists implicitly are are bored like they they're always kind of anxious for for something new and something that like excites them you know um at least that's how i am when i think that that's why people search out so many different mediums to work within you know um at least for me and and music and stuff like that like yeah i'm a drummer but i never 
honestly, I, I never start with the beat or start with the percussive element. That's always like the absolute last thing that I do. I, I would sit there for hours and hours and hours just listening to sounds and just trying to find the right sound. And I've found that that's like the only way that I can really write. You know, if if it's like an assignment or I put some sort of like expectation goal on it, itself, yeah. yeah, then all of a sudden I can put an expectation and a goal as far as a, a deadline. Like I got to get this done by next week or you know whatever date. <clears throat> I actually work better that way. But as far as like you know the melodic element of it or or you know anything like that, it, it's nothing that I can think about beforehand because I don't know what it's gonna be until I like hear it. So I'll sit there, like I said, just going through sounds and different synths and different stuff until something clicks. And honestly, I'd say almost every single song that I've written for Bond Street has been essentially written, the core of it, within 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Honest to God. And I mean, it's, it's just because I'll find something and be so drawn to it that like the rest of it just like falls into place and I remember putting together the album that we're about to put out in uh, October on October 29th A Church on Vulcan when we first started to like really put that album together we were under a time crunch again and there was like probably two or three nights in a row or within the same week that DDM would come home and I would be in the living room working on something and it would just be something random and he would like walk out the door to go grab something to eat and like bring it back like go get carry out or go to like Whole Foods or something like that and by the time he would like walk up the block and come right back I would be pretty much done with something and he'd be like wait is this you I'm like when did you make this I'm like I, when you walked out like I found this thing that sounded cool and this and like that's kind of like the beauty of having all of those elements like at your fingertips but also it's kind of like getting lost in an ocean of possibilities where you can just be floating around forever and not find that special like you know thing that you're looking for um but i don't know i i think that i'm starting to get back into being creative in other elements like other aspects of you know either visual art or creating you know things to support the album and everything I sure. think that's that's one thing that's been a little tough has been putting so much focus on one thing mm -hmm. um, but what's cool about the record industry now I mean it's if you really want to make it you can make it happen for yourself but you got to be willing to do all of it yourself you know um, and even if that means you still have to get somebody to actually do the drawings for the poster or something like that, like you still have to go find that person and give them a creative direction. You still have to kind of like, not babysit people, but in a way, like if you have a clear artistic vision for something, like you really have to be willing to sit there with it from, you know, start to finish. Because the one thing that we've learned is, you know, or that I've learned from, from doing this is that if you, if you let go of any aspect of your vision it's gonna get away from you and it's gonna end up being something that you didn't necessarily want it to be and that's not always a bad thing there's a lot of times where you know little hiccups or little mistakes or you know changes to what you initially thought it was gonna be end up being what makes it so special but 
it's also taught me to to never get lazy with the with the process and to constantly push for more because the more you put into it the more you're going to get out of it and I mean that's with anything in life really but especially with art the more driven you are to to make it what you want to make it the the better it's going to come out because there's a period of time where I really let myself kind of I don't want to say get lazy with it but be too too relaxed with it you know just like oh it'll happen when it happens and then like that's when you know like sitting around watching netflix and like eating food just gets way too like way too tempting um you gotta hustle yeah and that's that's kind of like back to the whole thing about being uncomfortable and being like in a in some sort of like constraints and stuff like that like having a reason to stay driven and i mean in any business you have to be that way um but especially with the music industry, like, there's so many people out there. Like, if you think that, like, what you do is special, like, you're probably wrong. And, like, that sounds, like, jaded and, like, messed up. But the truth is, like, there's so many people doing so many really awesome things right now. Like, if you if you want your thing to be, like, if you want to stand out, you know, you really got to put in that extra effort to make yourself stand out. Because people have so many options. You know, people don't have to tune into what you have to you know tell them or, or what you have to present them and even you know even at shows like you know you go to you go to most venues and most venues have like two stages or there's a venue like right next door or something like that like you know it's not that hard to just walk out and go see something else you can be on your phone be on spotify be on you know soundcloud you can find oh this person sounds like this person or that person sounds like this person so <laughs> it's it's tough like so new release right new release a new release first release so we, we I made you shelve this 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 talk before and we don't even have to necessarily get into the I mean I think the business side is interesting and I think people want to hear about it sure but like you know business is also marketing and marketing is success right yeah, yeah. and you know as I, I've said and I've been very uh, public about this on this podcast is that was, and I mentioned it to you, both of you before, was that was my shortcoming when I was making making music. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't creating enough material or having enough inspiration or really feeling like stoked with what I was doing. Yeah. I just didn't um, didn't and wasn't willing to put in the time to make connections. And I think it, you know, like, you know, one, there just wasn't the time placed in doing it, and sure. two, there's probably also some ways that it came off mm-hmm. as well of just being like an unconcerned mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so to that end mm. after having worked really hard to make pixelated what it is and worked really hard to make startups worry what it is i really gained a lot of perspective on it and you know like so when I was making music when I, I was a teenager was like the age of the sellout, mm, right? Mm, mm. So that was like a thing. That was like a legitimate thing that, at least that I thought was in the like landscape that you had to navigate, right? Sure. Which was like how to make music with credibility or whatever, or whatever. Now it's amazing because that shit doesn't mean anything at all. Nope. And it, as it shouldn't have ever. And like, quite frankly, like aside from, you know, maybe if you're not into the U.S. military paying you for, like, using your song. I remember, actually, that was a thing. That was the one stipulation we put on the Hymnon record with Morpheus. Was <laughs> It was like, are you willing to have, like, we have a licensing agreement with the U.S. military. Sometimes they'll license songs 
And we were like, no. Absolutely like, That's the one thing. Like, <laughs> no recruitment. Like, yeah. no recruitment jingles. Which is hilarious, right? Like, a weird prog band from Baltimore whose right. music ends up on a recruitment jingle. But I saw that Run the, Run the Jewels. Bud Light, Bud Light licensed that Run the Jewels song. Did you see that? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, really? like, they've got cans for the football season. That are all like Steelers can, Ravens can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a track off of Run the Jewels too. I can't think of which one it is now. But literally I was watching football on Sunday and I was like, Holy fucking shit. Like, <laughs> get it guys. Like right? get it, get it. Like that's badass, right? Yeah. Like the way that whole thing changed. So I asked you a question and then I talked. No. But I'm super curious about how you guys came to market like ultimately like how did you come to market how have you done what you've done in two years like you've done a lot in two years yeah. um, you talk about that in the landscape of Baltimore music not that Baltimore music isn't badass because the last decade has been f- fucking insane and it's always been here you know sure. like it's always been this rich and this good and this cool and unique and original and like vibrant mm. you just couldn't see it and we were stuck between all the cities that had first mar- first market yeah. music scenes, yeah. and we just didn't get that attention, and we didn't have people investing dollars in really fostering what was happening here to make yeah. to help people bring products out of what they were doing, so that way they could keep doing it and turn into careers yeah. and turn into people that like were lifetime artists and musicians that could value what they were doing, and they didn't have to like apologize for it and make secondary plans for how they would take care of themselves once like it was what it is so again i keep talking no, no but i'm i'm super curious to know like you know what you guys did what some of the ideas were things that were were big and had a big impact for you well definitely the the visual presence of the group was like a big thing like using our social media to our advantage and and presenting ourselves a certain way so you know it's it, I'm, I'm so fortunate to work with DDM because he comes from not only the industry but a fashion background. So he's thinking what's going to sell in the market. You know what I mean? So a lot of, a lot of our quote-unquote commercial success or you know whatever local success has come from putting ourselves out in a certain way and appearing a certain way. So every time that we would play shows, like we made sure that you know not only did we have just a set list but like we knew how like the vibe of the night was going to go and how we would play with the energy of the crowd we really focused a lot on the live performance and getting ourselves in front of as many people as possible because ddm is the type of performer that like when he's on stage it's infectious and he knows that and i knew that so it was really important to us we knew full well that right off the bat we didn't have the money to you know or the connections to have any sort of big distribution or anything like that um, was there a physical release? So, yeah, in a way, when we when we actually came out originally, I don't think that we had anything physical at the time, and then we ended up just getting, like, CDs made from, like, a friend. I mean, just, you know, somebody in Baltimore is a friend of DDM's, and, you know, they're cheap CDs, you know? It wasn't like we went and spent a ton of money. I designed the album cover and all the album artwork and everything. We had our friend Josh Flynn do all the photography for us and everything, and, like, really, like, this was a labor of love. Like, we had a lot of people you know basically donate most of their time and this was like you know putting out the album and the music video was like when i pulled all the stops and called all the favors that i had you know all Mm -hmm. the friends that i knew that were creatives was you know that was like my one opportunity to be like all right we're all 
starting off, you know, to a certain degree in our careers, like we're all still fairly low level in what we're doing. You know, this is hopefully going to be a great endeavor for everybody. And like, I, I, you know, as somebody who's done freelance film and stuff like that, there's nothing more annoying than somebody asking you to like do what you do very well for free. Right. Uh, and especially when it's like, no, it'll be great exposure for you. Like right. that's like the most obnoxious lie right. in the world. Right. But being that we had a you know close personal relationship and people believed in what we were going for and were like curious to see how it came out, I think we really played that to our advantage. Um, and we're able to get people really invested in it because we were so excited about it and we wanted to to kind of spread that infectious energy to everybody that we worked with and i think that's why everything came out so cohesive because everybody was really trying to fight for the same thing you know everybody wanted it to be a certain way um and i think really early on saw the potential in the group so kind of harnessing that energy and running with it right off the bat i mean like I didn't sleep at all for like months because we were just constantly, I mean, there's a period of time where we were playing at least, you know, maybe three shows a week. And I mean, that's just like around Baltimore, you know, we'd be playing wind up space one night, we'd be playing the crown another night, we'd be playing Metro Gallery the next. And, you know, any sort of charity event that asked us to do something, you know, anybody who was throwing a party, like we just said yes to everything. There was no show that we weren't willing to pay, play. It didn't matter if we were getting paid or not. Mm -hmm. And like another big thing with us too is making sure that anybody who plays with us, whether they're playing like in our band, like sometimes we'll have our drummer Matt come out and he'll play with us or whoever's involved with what we do, we make sure that they get paid before we do because it's really important to us kind of as a brand to establish those genuine relationships with people and make sure that they know that they're valued. Like our release party, I mean, I think it pretty much sold out the crown and we had probably four, maybe five openers for us. Like when we took over the whole night and everybody down to the very first act who came up and did like two, three songs and got off the stage, like everybody got paid and paid well because it meant a lot to us that they knew that they matter in the scene as well because there was so much attention on us so early on. I feel really fortunate that people really really fucked with what we did you know people really were into what we were doing and willing to come out and support us so i think garnering those relationships with everybody around us was really important to the overall success of the group because by doing that early on people saw that not only did we care about making what we were trying to do happen but like try to bring people along with us you know what i mean and and try to bring the whole scene up as much as we could not that we thought that much of ourselves at the time but coming from being in different groups or being solo artists that had to open up for other people and you know being promised you know whatever money or whatever exposure and then none of that actually happening it was really important that we weren't that way with people you know and that everybody involved with the process to the best of our ability were taken care of in whatever way possible so I think relationships are the relationships and reputation are like the two biggest things that you can have in, in anything in life in general you know what I mean like your reputation really is the most valuable asset to you because no matter what you're putting out if people really are invested in you as a person and your brand I mean not even you as a person but your brand whatever it is that you're putting out you know it just so happens that we're kind of putting ourselves out as part of our brand but if you can get people actually invested in you as a person they'll stick with you and that's really been the big thing for us was this kind of like 
wave after wave of like new people seeing us and then coming up to us at the show and even though we might be absolutely exhausted and want nothing more in the world than to go home he'll tell you and ddm will tell you i'll sit there and talk to somebody until 3 a.m if they want to sit there and have a conversation about whatever because the fact that we're in a position that people want to do that i feel very fortunate that people feel compelled to come talk to me and people want to come see what i create because i know a lot of people that don't get that kind of opportunity at least not right away you know what i mean so to to be kind of given that opportunity i i personally personally felt a great responsibility to not only like capitalize on it but to give back to everybody in the best way that i could whether it was in a personal interaction or the show that we were presenting i mean that that throughout our time together moving forward as well i think our live show will be what our legacy is because that's what means the most to us in a way you know the the overall production and everything that comes out is important but people pay good money to come see a show and i feel like nowadays especially there's so many artists out there that have lost that you know lost that that um that kind of I don't want to say theatrical thing because there's a lot of artists that do a lot the performance but yeah you know it, I, I've seen especially in hip hop you know I, I've, I've seen so many acts recently at different festivals and stuff like that that we've played and stuff and these people are selling like tons of tickets and stuff and they pace back and forth on the stage like they don't even want to be there yeah. you know what I mean and it's just like and the crowd's getting hype like it, it almost it makes no sense to me but it's you know you see people like Kanye West and say what you will about him but the man is putting on an incredible show right now I don't know if you've seen any of like the pictures or videos from like his new Mm -hmm. tour right now but like the whole floating stage and everything like I feel like that's kind of like he's like the Rolling Stones used to be yeah Kanye West is like because you know like the Rolling Stones are always like breaking records for like 56 semis like it takes it takes the Stones tour like 56 semis and they have two different sets so they can like leapfrog one another so really you know they've got like 112 semis you know traversing the united states bringing the like steel wheels tour to america and he's the one that's like pushing the boundaries yeah and i think it's good you know there's there's a lot of people that don't like what he's doing or you know don't like his music or whatever and that's fine but you can't for a second say that that guy a hasn't paid his dues over the past 20 some years and b doesn't put on a good show because it's absolutely ridiculous what he's doing right now i think that's something that we really strive for even within the constraints that we have currently is how do we every show bring something new to the table do an exceptional thing like engage people you know i have thought for a long time one of the big things that i think about making music again is wanting to you know, one thing that I outgrew was the desire. I want to make great music, but I don't want to make it for a subset of people. Yeah. And that's something that, like, I think maturity brought was, mm. like, no longer wanting to appeal to, like, a very curated set of, like, tastemakers in a small space <laughs> and really make music for people because, like, amazing music makes people feel amazing. And yeah. to be part of that is, like, a very special thing. Yeah. And if you can do it at scale, like, that's fucking incredible but really what like I think about all the time and what I'm eager to do you know like I'll always have like a a lot of hand in 
the creative process and the songwriting, you know, like if not the majority of it. But when it comes back to the performance side of it, what I really want to have happen is, you know, like I want to have a have like a band leader mm. that isn't me, right? So like you know, you're like you're playing in a band, and like the chorus is coming, and you're worried the drummer isn't gonna like, and you're like this, no, no, no. Right, you know, like, look over the shoulder to make sure that he knows that the change is coming. Right, and like that's a break, right? Mm-hmm. That's a break with like, it's this notion of like the performer and their relationship with the audience, mm-hmm. and like staying with them, right? And like if you also have to like make sure that the cues are happening to the band, there's like a break yeah. that happens there. And I'm really interested in like getting to that space where that's you know like whether you're talking thinking about like like i'm a big fan of um george ben i don't know if you know george ben the Mm. tropicalia dude the brazilian guy like his early like records from like the early 70s Mm. um where they're just these massive like brazilian bands that have all these percussive elements to it but he's just like really like going for you know like going for it going for it going for it and there's like a musical director that's there right Mm. keeping it tight or you think about uh you know, even like the the stop making sense film, right? Mm-hmm. Like where David Byrne in that at that period of time is, or like James Brown, right? Yeah, like yeah. Per, I mean, actually, you know, like that dude never let anybody off of the hooks. Yeah, so right, I, right. I will strike his name from my <laughs> mouth. But you know, like you have all these like massive bands and these massive performers in history, and there's a person that's keeping that tether on the musical side of it, and it allows the performative connective part that happens with the audience where the magic really builds in the room and all of a sudden everyone that's there was like I swear everyone was floating like it was this special experience that like we looked across the room and all of us were three feet off the ground yeah including James Brown yeah all of us it was like we levitated have you ever read that kinks book the Dave Davies not the Ray Davies, the Dave Davies autobiography. Mm-mm. He talks about like a late tour, like a late tour, you know, like, <laughs> the, like when they were 50 or 60 years old, having like, like a transcendental experience, like somewhere in like Greenville, South Carolina, North Carolina or something like that. <laughs> like some like kind of, I don't, I don't want to denigrate any city by no, calling but it a second rate city but just like not New York like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't Toronto yeah, it was like somewhere hub. like weird in the south and he's like talking you know like Charlotte North Carolina yeah 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 and he's got this thing where he was like you know anyone that was in the room that night like we all like locked eyes and like froze up off the ground that's like insane pinnacle of my thing man so good um what are you guys doing now so uh, is this gonna be so EP, full record, new record, or was is this going to be the second release that's coming out? This is the second release this is that's it. coming out. Yeah, so uh, October 29th, we're dropping our official full-length album under Friends Records uh, called A Church on Balkan. Um, it's 11 tracks. It's the best music that I've made to date. Um, it's really a step out of the first album, which I'm super excited for. There's a lot of elements in this record that you didn't hear at all in the first one so there's like a clear progression from the first EP to this Um, and there's been a lot of time that's passed you know and a lot of things that have happened in the world that have really driven a lot of those sounds and a lot of the motifs that run throughout the album Um, 
I'm really excited for people to hear this because no two tracks sound the same, but as you listen through it top to bottom, everything makes sense the way that it goes through. And it was really cool to see the album come together. So we're, we're basically putting this out October 29th and going to be hitting the road in fall and trying to do some weekend warrior tours and, you know, get up to New York and Boston more often down South and, uh, just try to start establishing roots in, in some of the cities that we haven't been to. I mean, we've been up to New York and, and you know, a couple of places through the South, but really starting to build that fan base outside of Baltimore because Baltimore has been so good to us and, and home and still is home. But we want to really start seeing this move across the country. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of the, the next plan. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so I always ask this question when I'm talking to musicians on the show, and they always feel like I'm like making them give their like top ten list. Oh boy, it's not your top ten list at all. Okay, but what are you stoked on, like right now? <sighs> right now, like, like what are you just like individual tracks, full records, uh, you know, like digging? Like I just found this again. Like okay, I've been so waiting for this forever. Tracks. Uh, one track that like I keep coming back to is Dapper by Damo Genesis and Anderson Pack. Um, actually, a friend of ours. We were out in LA in the beginning of the year. Um, our two buddies, Larry and Vic, uh, they go into the Garcia Brothers. They help produce that track um, with them, and it's just it's so good. Everything that Anderson Pack's doing right now is just like yeah. He's so good. Yeah. He's so fucking good. The guy's so talented. And the thing is too is that he's a new artist, quote unquote. And he's like you know just coming out quote Uh unquote but this dude's been doing it for a long time you know Um, so I really like uh, that collaboration I like everything that he's doing Um, I'm trying to think I'm so bad with like keeping up with music honestly like I'm the worst with like new stuff I always fall back in old habits and listen to old albums so like Radiohead stuff like I always fall back into like real hard like I'll sit there and listen to Kid A just over and over and over again Um, but and same with like anything doom or jay dilla or anything like that yeah. is always like something that i'm just constantly listening to but what's your favorite doom record uh doom affiliated record since it could really mad villain is just like yeah. it's just so good it's ridiculous yeah. like there's not a track on that record that i don't love yeah and you know i don't know i is one of those jams that like i'm a i'm definitely a sucker for like a female hook yeah like for like for for sure but that song because it's super cyclical right like he could have like kept looping it yep for like 12 minutes 16 (laughs) minutes because it's really good and it doesn't have like enough body to it that it's discerned like there is no like it just kind of like rolls straight through you know Mm -hmm. like there's no breaks in it there's no like discernible changes where it gets like changed up a lot and that's one of those songs that like i could be put in the grave to yeah you know because it's just great like it's exceptional yeah i love that love that shit i um mf doom was like a huge like the vic vaughn record vaudeville villain was like i was living in mount vernon Mm. working at the sound garden i had given up my car i was like mountain biking vaudeville villain and mad villainy were like and king Ghidorah. yeah uh those like those records are so dude i remember, remember just being like this dude is just so fucking smart like, yeah he's just so smart like he says the most like incredibly interesting weird non sequitur kind of things but like yeah. constantly it's like this con- it's like in it's like seinfeld yeah <laughs> 
but like really great rap music yeah. with just like really really exceptional beats. I'm a, like I totally do the same thing though. Like I live in, I check out new music and I try and be diligent about stuff because I'm because I'm always searching to be stoked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's less. I don't have a need to hear everything. But I do have a need to make sure that I find that thing that's gonna like hit me in the brain and be like, "Don't forget what the long term plan is here." Yeah, like, and that you know, like the the new the new Frank Ocean record, I think is is pretty um, is pretty awesome. Mostly, um, so I've been like fascinating on that a lot. Mm-hmm. But mostly, like I'm always just going back to yeah. like these like same records, internalize them. I worked it the Trader Joe's in Pikesville for nice. a while and uh, it was a dark period of my life because <laughs> I was definitely not really capitalizing on my talents as a human being <laughs> and it's like a flex type job where like it's like swing shift shit you don't get a set schedule yeah. and I was already kind of older at that point I was like probably close to 30 yeah. and I had like a home and a wife and I the way I negotiated so I was like, if you guys give me a set schedule, I will work 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. five days a week, and I'll do it all in the milk refrigerator. Like, I'll stock the milk every single day and, like, all that stuff, yeah, which, yeah. like, no one wanted to do. So they, they took me up on it, and I – it was great because, like, I got up at 2 a.m., mm. like – got prepared yeah. to go work in a grocery store right. like all morning long <laughs> while it was closed and then I would get into the freezer and I'd have a sweatshirt on and I would put in headphones and I would literally I listened to Crazy in Love uh, on repeat yeah. for seven hours a day Damn. for like five weeks straight <laughs> and just like studying the nuance I remember the, the day I finally heard like the you know like the the uh oh uh oh uh oh you got that part yeah like the way those drums are syncopated like yeah. they're weird right yeah. so it's like but they're mixed incredibly so you can't it's very difficult to pull them apart mm-hmm. but it's two separate drum sections that are doing it and it took I remember three weeks in being like like I could finally hear it. Yeah. I could hear just enough difference where I was like, "That's how they're doing it." Like, <laughs> but it's mixed so well that it's very difficult to like the un, to the un five week trained ear of yeah, listening to the right. song. But I used to just get in there and and just like I did it with with that song. I did it with that Phoenix record, Wolfgang Amadeus. Oh yeah. Like that one was like because it's produced so well. Like yep. it's 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 so well mixed that it's a headphone kind of masterpiece just digging in it yeah I, uh, I get obsessive with stuff like that although <laughs> I need to I need to get obsessive about more happy stuff I'll sit there and listen to like No Surprises by Radiohead for like too long yeah way too long to listen to that song for and get in my head about it but yeah I don't know anything anything that kind of has that crazy electronic you know element to it a lot of like Thundercat stuff oh I've my noticed. gosh do you like that EP oh, it's so good oh that first song is that song, I mean, that shit blows me away. That record is great. Do you listen to? Um, I love that all this is still recording. Right. I told you we get we get real with this. We'll wrap it up in a minute. Do you ever listen to? Um, I can't believe that I can't remember his fucking name as often as I listen to this record. Literally constantly. I'm the same way. Damn. 
Come on, man. <laughs> it's uh, the record's called Steve Gunn. Do you listen to Steve Gunn? Have you heard Way Out Weather? No. Uh, it's I feel like, like I need to look this up. It's though. like on the beach era, Neil uh, Young. Like, chill as fuck. Nice. Like, real hazy, chill. But like, I listen to that record. <laughs> See, my whole thing is like, now I have these children that I get to share it with. Yeah, that's and gotta be cool. They are, and I am literally like. If we're up at five of six, you know, like we're in the kitchen and the only way that I can rally is, you know, we're at like 90 on the stereo and we're like, you know, my kids love that first song off the new, that Nike song off the new Frank Ocean. Oh, like they yeah. love it. They're like, daddy, Nike. And I'm like, all right, like, cool. Um, and we're like screaming to each other or like they're stoked I remember when we got into that Bauer TT track make it bang yeah I mean Cassius my my youngest just like literally going mental like <laughs> you know like just you know like f- dancing so hard that he doesn't like he's not even like controlling his body anymore yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's really committing to like figuring out how to express that er- erratic feeling in yeah. him and seeing that synapse that early kind of developed synapse yeah. and listening to it and understanding how it's making me feel right now as a 36 year old and then seeing like your progeny like your children (laughs) have these like very you know we'll we'll leave off the fact that watching your children is like looking into a mirror of like you're good and you're bad and you're (laughs) and mostly like you're really weird where you're like oh i am that weird because that kid is that thing that i've always been worried about like it's true but watching them respond mm. in in similar ways to similar pieces of music and like different moments mm. of it it's um it's just such a it's like such a fascinating thing so you end up going in you know we listen to like we'll be listening to TT and then we'll literally go to listening to the final countdown nice. and then we'll <laughs> literally go to John Williams you know and yeah. then like and it's like really you know and then they're like, 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 let's play that Run the Jewels song. And it's yeah. like, no, you can say it now, so we can actually not listen to that record anymore. Right. Like it, that, one, that one's pretty much all for us. But it's great. It's it's definitely a, a, a dual lens that I didn't really understand how having children would enrich my relationship with all these things in my life that mean so much to me. Yeah. But it's been, it's like this rebolstering of it because it adds a depth that you didn't perceive before. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, fuck, my molecules have been rearranged and I'm still <laughs> just as stoked, but I'm even more stoked now because I can see that the like, the, the pain and sweat that I suffered to keep this thing an important thing in my life was a valid, you know, uh, a valid sacrifice to make because like those are real things that really drive people. And now I can see it, like yeah. I can see, and then it, you know, it encourages you to fight for those things. Sure. You know, you're like, Oh yeah. Like I wish I'd have known this, but I'm going to make sure that my kids know this. Yeah. I don't want them to have this doubt. Like I'm going to clarify it because I can see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This is the moment where you get to tell everyone that's listening, um, like where to follow along. So probably Insta. Yeah. Maybe you guys got a Snapchat. We talk a lot about Snapchat on the podcast. Um, What to look out for. 
when to come listen to you. So I'm going to like turn and publish this like super duper 48 hours, 72 tops. Okay. So like make it, you can make your, your call to action very relevant time wise. It'll be up out before next week. So yeah, let everybody know, let them know how to email you so they can hire you to come and play at Coachella this year. (laughs) Absolutely. Whatever the case may be. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, everything is bond street district bond, like James bond, B O N D S T district. Um, so bondstreetdistrict.com, Instagrams, bond street district, same with Twitter. Um, Snapchat. Oh man. You know, I honestly don't know if we have a Snapchat. I don't think we do, but we need to get on that. Um, but yeah, anything Bond Street District, Bond Street District at gmail.com for any sort of booking inquiries or anything like that. Uh, like I said, October 29th, we have our full length album coming out on Friends Records called A Church on Vulcan. Um, definitely come by for that. We're going to be doing a release party uh, that night at the 2640 space, uh, St. Paul. Um, so that's 2640 St. Paul, um, the old church venue. It's awesome. So. Um, that's going to be a huge event, so definitely don't miss that. Um, we're going to be putting it out on vinyl. We have tapes coming out, CD, everything. We're going to have limited uh, runs of colored vinyl. Uh, we got two different colors of vinyl and then black vinyl coming out. Um, upcoming shows we have uh, this Friday, so I believe that's, uh, what is that, September? Oh, God, I should be better about this. 18th. Yeah, 19th. September, or no, let's see. 20th. 20-something. 23rd. <laughs> All right. September 23rd, we'll be playing the Baltimore Book Festival uh, in, the inner, in the Inner Harbor. Uh, next Saturday, uh, October 1st, we're going to be playing, or a week from this coming Saturday, October 1st, we're going to be playing in Harrisburg, uh, PA, uh, with Lower Dens, Romantic States, and a couple other uh, bands from Baltimore. Um, other than that, yeah, just look out for the release. That's the big thing coming up. Um, we're really excited about that. It's going to be a big step forward. Hey man, um, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thank thanks for making me. time to like sit down and talk with us. Absolutely. I um, I'm really stoked for you guys. Congratulations thank on you. all the success you've had so far, and I'm excited to see more Baltimore music make big big waves globally. Absolutely. Hell yeah! <laughs> um, all right, guys. So you heard the man. Give him some follows on social. Um, come out to the record release party. Uh, come have some fun. It sounds like it's going to be an incredible event. Um, and help support some of this amazing music that's being pushed out of our incredible city. Um, this is your host, Patrick Reif. If you haven't yet, I would encourage you to press the subscribe button. Whether you're listening on the iTunes podcast player, on SoundCloud, or on (laughs) Stitcher, or if you're stuck in your cubicle at BGE listening to this on YouTube, um, they've all got subscribe buttons and you can push them. Uh, Also, if you have a few spare moments and you would head over to the iTunes store and leave us a quick review, um, when you hit five stars and leave us a badass review, iTunes decides to serve this podcast to more people um, all over the world. And the more we have that happen, the more we get to tell the stories of all these great businesses and artists and leaders um, that are part of our city and are going to help shape what we're going to do in the next 20, 50, 80, 150 years here. So do me a favor and head over there and leave some quick reviews and notes on what you think. Um, I fully expect to see every single one of you 
at Pixelated at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday the 27th. That's like five days away. Um, we're going to talk with TT the artist. The, the talk's going to be about entrepreneurship. Uh, more, more about what Paul and I just spoke about, talking about building a career out of your creative assets and, and just crushing it and, and not having to pick one way or the other, just taking both cake and eating it too. Um, so come on out. We've got uh, sweet new Startup Soiree t-shirts that we just printed. You guys can come and grab some of those. Um, we're going to have some food. We're going to have drinks. We're going to have a beer. It's going to be excellent. Okay. Um, I'm signing off. This is Patrick Reif. Keep taking care of each other. Peace.